630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Hey. Dry settle in front. McDavid scores! The hat trick goal! Yamamoto's got right back into it. Stolen. Gave it to Dry settle. Gets it back. What timer score? Tyler Yamamoto! Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chair. You all look great. Beautiful audience tonight. Oilers news today. Tyler Benson gets a one-year, two-way contract, 23 years of age, drafted by the Oilers 32nd overall back in 2016. Big year in the abbreviated AHL season this past winter. 36 points in 36 games. Looking very, very good in the minors. He did get into those seven NHL games back in the 1920 season. Had one assist in seven games. Tyler Benson, the uh, kid from Edmonton, hoping to crack the roster of his hometown team. You'll hear from him as we move along tonight. Elks, Alouettes coming up on Saturday at Commonwealth. Of course, it's on 630 Ched. Countdown to kickoff is going to be at 3.30. The game will start at 5. Looks like it's going to be a hot one. Hopefully no rain that we had to deal with throughout the day last Saturday leading up to the home opener against the Ottawa Red Blacks. Now, a lot of storylines going into this game. The Alouettes have not played this season. They were on the bye in week one. So we talked to head coach Jamie Elizondo of the Elks last night about what game film he's looking at. They have a pretty good, exciting quarterback who's making a name for himself in the Canadian Football League that is Vernon Adams Jr. And they have a uh, longtime member of the Double E now on their defensive line, and that is Elmondo Sewell, who did a Zoom availability earlier today and had this to say about Elks quarterback Trevor Harris. Like I know Trevor, you know, you hit him one time, you start folding. So let's see if that whole Trevor Harris is going to show up again. doesn't matter what he looks like on IG. He's posting all those pictures. Looking like a pit bull, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, there is Elmondo Sewell saying that it's the same old Trevor Harris. He's going to fold once we hit him. And, uh, yeah, if you follow Trevor Harris on social media, there have been some uh, photos over the, well, really the past uh, a couple of years, including last year, the season that never happened, of uh, Mr. Harris looking quite fit, as you would expect a, tro- a pro athlete to look. Uh <laughs> And uh, Mr. Sewell saying, well, uh, big deal. We're coming to get him. We're going to hit him, and he's going to fold. So to discuss that and other things, I am pleased to welcome the excellent defensive end for your Edmonton Elks, Kwaku Boateng, back to Inside Sports. Kwaku, you're on with Reed. How are you doing? I'm doing great yourself. I'm doing well. Now, I, I know Elmondo Sewell, I'm sure, in, in most circumstances, though perhaps not this week, is is a friend of yours. And I know football players often enjoy taking shots at each other. They, they usually, I would think, try to keep it out of the media if they can. Uh, when you hear that clip from Sewell, what are you thinking? Uh, he's just determined. You know, he's uh, Armando. He's been um, always someone I looked up to. He's someone that helped me take care of my business on and off the field. So um, he's just someone that's hungry. He's he's excited to be back on the field. He's obviously excited to be back in Edmonton and put on a show. So I can't blame him. But all I know is that TH7, he's, he's our franchise quarterback, and he's going to get it done. 
and I'm excited to see him ball out this Saturday. Okay. Well, uh, a mature and measured response from you, as I was expecting. I didn't think you would fly off the handle or start making comments back. But in in general, are are you surprised when? Uh, and look, there are worse things you could have said. But he, I mean, saying that the guy's going to fold is, I, I think, a bit of a uh, a bit of a dig. Are, are you surprised when a player does, uh, whether it's in your league or another league or another sport? Are you surprised when a guy? is sort of that vocal publicly about an opponent is that like is that healthy or or is that you know perhaps make it a little worse for everybody no i actually i actually um i actually like when players come out and and talk uh and talk trash like that because it makes it even more better when we go out there and beat them right so stuff like that i think just excite makes the game more exciting um keeps everyone on their toes and it, it makes the wage it makes the makes the makes the game so much more fun to actually play and and dominate in. Yeah, well, it gives us a little extra storyline to follow, though I, th- I think once the, the ball is snapped, the teams are just going to go at it, and probably uh, yeah, nobody's yeah. going to be thinking about that too much. So, yeah, uh, how have you been? I, I mean, look, you and I have, uh, you've been on my show a few times. You came into studio, I think, what turned out to be a few weeks before the, uh, the, the pandemic. And I know we've caught up before, but, you know, take us through everything that uh, you as an athlete had to go through and then the feeling of actually being on the field for the first time in about a year and a half uh, on Saturday. Did, did it feel like it was you were right back at it? You hadn't left off or did you feel at times like, oh, yeah, man, I haven't done this in a while? Yeah, um, I think that training camp, um, it felt a lot longer this this, uh, this time around. Um, and I tried my best to get as much rust off during training camp because I wanted to come out and I think the whole defense is a mentality. We wanted to come out firing right away. We didn't want to hesitate. We didn't have any, didn't want to have any excuse as to why we can ball out. So um, at no point did I feel like, Oh, like, Oh, we're, we haven't played in, in like two years. It almost like, almost like a good friend where you haven't met, you haven't talked to like two years, you reconnect and you just start off where you left off. And that's that I think that's the relationship I have with football. Right. Well, and uh, you know, I, no, I don't. I don't mean any disrespect of other units in the game because I know everybody plays hard. But but I thought the most productive unit for the Elks that night, and and the one that made the most big plays, was the D line. You had two sacks. Uh, you guys combined had five. I, I think there were a couple other plays that were pretty much sacks, but Nichols must have fallen a couple inches ahead of the line of scrimmage, so it didn't count <laughs> yeah. as a sack. What what allowed you guys to put so much pressure on Nichols on Saturday night? Um, like I said, we, we, we have, um, for I, th- I think in 2018 and 2019, we led, we led the league in sacks, and that's, that says a lot about our coaching staff, um, specifically Coach Maxey, and how hard um, he keeps us, how hard he pushes us throughout practice, and how how well he keeps us hungry. Um, so when we get the opportunity to actually hit a real quarterback, like I've know, I know you've certainly come to a practice, an Elks practice, and you see the quarterbacks in these nice, fancy yellow pennies or different color pennies. It's frustrating as the lineman not to hit them, right? So when it comes down to game day all that frustration can be washed away by getting a sack. So um, I we definitely appreciate the love and support that we've been getting as a D-line, but truly it's the whole D-line, right? With the coverage from Aaron Grimes, Rose, and everything in the back, the young linebacker core that's supporting us, it makes it easy for us to get after the quarterback for sure. Yeah, well, and, and you make a good point. Quarterbacks are, are usually untouchable at practice, so you guys are hungry exactly. to actually, actually tackle somebody when you get into a exactly, game. Yeah. 
In in terms of, I, I want to talk about a couple other guys on that line. Uh, a lot was made in the preseason through training camp of you and Matthew Betts, a couple of Canadian guys who can kind of be bookends on the D line. And often those positions are, are American players, but we got two Canadians there for the Elks. You're still pretty young yourself, but Betts is even fresher to the Canadian Football League. What's your scouting report and impression you of Matthew so far? And I know he did play a few games a couple of years ago, but now he's a starter right from day one. Yeah, Betts, he, he, he's like a road bunny. Like, he's like Energizer Bunny. He just always has energy. Um, and more importantly, he's always running to the ball. Right, so whenever there's opportunity um, for a fumble or whatever, I'm sure he'll be there. Uh, with Betts, obviously him being King, being from Laval, um, I think it's actually awesome to have us both on the edges there. Um, we had actually played him back in I think 2017, so just for everything to come back full circle like this, I think it's, it's an honor. Um, but Betts, he's, he's a baller. He's like he's like everyone else on the line. He's aggressive. He wants to get after it, and more importantly, he wants to make big plays. You know, Kwaku, I, I find football such an interesting sport. I mean, look, I, I never played it, and I don't consider that I can press X uh, and pick a play in Madden, uh, really contributing to my knowledge of football. I, I just think it's such a fascinating game, and I find all the decision-making and adjustments that have to be made along the way very interesting. So when you guys line up as a D-line, how much of, of how you're going to rush or whether you're going to look for a run or a pass is is decided pre-play, or how much is it is it like okay we're just lining up and and looking and we all kind of got to adjust and be on the same page almost as the ball is snapped. Yeah, I think it's kind of it's a mix of things. Um, I, I've come to learn from a lot of veteran D linemen. The biggest thing you want to have keys. No, you want to know where the running back is. You want to know the personnel, um, whether it's all receiving corps personnel or you have a couple of fullbacks sprinkled in there, right? So it kind of determines, okay, like, is it going to be a play action or run, whatnot? But honestly, it just comes down to just getting off the ball and reacting, right? Uh, and that's, I think that's the toughest part is being able to just get off the ball react to punches being thrown at you basically and still having the, the, the amount of like a decent amount of juice left to accelerate to the quarterback or accelerate back to the, where the ball is or the ball carrier whoever it is so it's a mix of both i don't think it's any different from a wide receiver kind of looking at um coverage and obviously he knows his route but once the ball is thrown in the air he's got to adjust right and he's got to adjust accordingly if he wants to be successful so and, I, and i'm wondering too how much of what you guys are trying to do is to draw a double team so somebody else comes? Because I, I would think if, if you are able to tie up two offensive linemen, okay, maybe you're not getting a sack on that play, but maybe now Moore is coming free. Like, is, is that something you try to draw O-line into where it's like, okay, if, if I can go here, maybe they both come to me and that allows someone else to sprint in? Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that um, has made our D-line so special. Um, we have a great group of men. Um, we all connect well. We're all pretty pretty close, tight-knit group. So when it comes down to times where when Armando was here and he was getting double-teamed or uh, Mike gets double-teamed or I get double-teamed, that frees someone else, right? And those are the opportunities that we all relish just to be able to go bone-on-bone, bone, which is like one-on-one -on -one against offensive linemen and know that there's no running back chipping us. There's no guard that's helping us to tackle. It's just one-on-one. -on -one. So in our mentality, it's like we got to win that rep, right? Um, but, again, we have a pretty, pretty close-knit group. So if Jake Suarez is getting doubled, 
And if I get the sack, I think Jake. <laughs> you know what I mean? As much as I love having that sack, I got to think Jake because he took that double team. If I get double teamed and Jake gets a sack, it's the same love. So I think that that's what really helps us our success. Obviously, the players and the coaching stuff, but I think it's just the fact that we t- were great on and off the field as a D-line, as a D-line group, sir. Yeah, well, it sounds like you guys are, are, are really in sync, which is good to hear. Kwaku Boateng from the Edmonton Elks joining us tonight. Okay, so on Saturday you played Matt Nichols, who is more of a kind of pocket passer, drop back, quick release. You know where he's going to be most of the time. I mean, they're all good athletes and they can all run, but I don't know if that's Matt's strengths. I, I personally, and I, and I want to get your perspective, would describe Vernon Adams as a more elusive quarterback and uh, maybe has the potential to to turn a broken play into something if he is under pressure. Do you have to change anything about your approach going into this game, knowing that it's it's Adams, maybe a better runner, as opposed to Nichols, who's more of a pocket passer? Yeah, I think certainly. Um, Vernon, Vernon is uh, a great quarterback. He's someone that can throw the ball deep, um, nickel and diamond, but more importantly, he can get out of that pocket and cause a lot of damage on with his feet. So I think the biggest thing is the alignment. We just got to make sure that our angles are appropriate. We're taking the right um, approaches to, to tackle him, making sure that um, whenever we do tackle him, it's, a, it's, it's, it's aggressive and whatnot, so he doesn't want to keep running. But the biggest thing, I think, is more so just our angles, making sure that we're securing tackles. And if one person misses, we're running to the ball just so there's a crowd of us always around him. So I think that's the biggest adjustment. But he's a great quarterback, so he'll be able to throw the ball deep. But whenever he does want to take it, um, use his legs as a weapon, we got to be able to take the right pursuit angles to take him down. So how much of your job is technique versus how much is power? I think it's it's a yin-yang. It's a flow. Um, especially me being an undersized D-lineman, personally, I have to always show a little bit of power because a lot of undersized D-linemen often like to you know, use speed and be more agile because of their size. But I think you got to have the O-lineman respect your power because then that opens up the whole catalog of different speed moves and rush moves, right? So I think you got to be a little a little bit of both. No difference from the offense, making sure that they can run the ball so then the defense feels a bit more hesitant um, stopping that run so then we can go play action or go double move deep. All right. And uh, I want to ask you about something else here. I know it kind of got derailed by the pandemic, but uh, the last time we actually sat across the, the table from each other, we talked about this. Uh, sacks for racks. Uh, remind everybody what that is and what you uh, have been able to accomplish with that, even though, like I said, it, it got kind of uh, uh, things, uh, things had to be adjusted when the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I appreciate that you remember that. Uh, yeah, Sax Racks is just a brand that I started um, a, few, uh, a few years ago that's really just focused on developing young, aspiring pass rushers throughout Canada, right? And I feel like obviously a lot of camps out there, but there aren't that many camps that are position-specific, especially for D-linemen. They are, for, they are available in the States, but not really in Canada. So I really just wanted to start um, a program or an academy kind of where I teach athletes how, how to rush the passer, how to, how to take these uh, appropriate angles, how to know when to do power, when to do finesse, right? And knowing that it's a yin-yang flow and making sure that you're, you possess both those characteristics. Um, but more importantly, it just gave me the opportunity to be out there in the community um, with the youth, especially during the time where I wasn't able to play football and be um, around that game, it allowed me to feel like I never left the game. And more importantly, it allowed me to constantly 
you know, work on my own craft because um, as I'm teaching these youth, I'm also learning it, relearning it myself or reteaching myself. So I think that that pays a lot. That, that helps me throughout the game, right? Just help, just allows me to be a student in the game instead of just a player. So, um, yeah, Satchfax is going well, and the pandemic actually allowed me to um, do a lot of great things and get out there with the youth, especially when a lot of camps and other programs were canceled. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm grateful to even be be able to provide them something that they'll hopefully be able to use throughout their university and hopefully professional career. Yeah, right on. Well, good for you for doing that. Kwaku, uh, you know, great start for uh, you individually and the D-line on Saturday, but I know you guys are more concerned about the win, so I hope you get one of those this coming Saturday against Montreal. Thank you so yes, much sir. for checking in. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on the show, man. That is Kwaku Boateng, very well-spoken, very intelligent young man, defensive lineman for your Edmonton Elks, and as you've seen, an absolute beast on the field <laughs> when he gets after the quarterback. No doubt about that. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. we got a lot more to come. Uh, Chris Morris is going to join us. Perry Pern is on the show as well. You'll hear from Tyler Benson. we got our golf trivia to give away four passes to Edmonton Springs Golf. You can get in touch, 780-496-0063. The hotline is presented by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. That's also the number to text. And follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, R-E-I-D-W-I-L-K-I-N-S. Back after the break. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta's precedent-setting injury lawyers. All right, good to have you tuning in tonight. Got some texts coming in about Kwaku Boateng and the Edmonton Elks. I will get to those after 6.30 because I want to give them uh, give you time to uh, or give myself time to really read them and get your thoughts out there. 780-496-0063. I can also tell you today the uh, Winnipeg Jets announced that anybody going to games will have to have proof of vaccination for the upcoming seasons, uh, for the upcoming season. Now, the Oilers have said previously, and this was uh, repeated to me today, that they're going to continue to take their direction from Alberta Health Services, which currently does not have any fan restrictions. And the Elks game this past Saturday was played with no fan restrictions. Now, as we know, as we've moved through this pandemic, and really with any situation, things could change, but there's... uh, at the moment, there would be no such plan that, that would apply to the Elks or would apply to the Oilers for there to be proof of vaccination to go to games. So that's what I can tell you there. Also in the next half hour, Vernon Adams Jr. He's the guy Kwaku Botain's going to be chasing in a few days. And a little bit of you and, oh, golf trivia all coming up. Your home for all the news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chat. Okay, good to have you tuning in tonight, man. Love talking to Kwaku Boateng. Very intelligent man and an excellent football player as well. He's going to be getting after the quarterback on Saturday. We, of course, have the game on 6.30, Chet. It starts at 5. Our coverage will begin with the countdown to kickoff at 3.30. Dave Campbell, Morley Scott, Blake Dermott, Eddie Steele, Brendan Escott, I don't know, probably Ernie and Bert, like just everybody's involved. It's going to be insane. Uh, Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound. He, he likes being on the show. All right. Uh, I like being on the show, and I like all of you, and I want to get to some of your texts as well. Phone lines are open, 780-496-0063. If you uh, actually want to have a spoken, verbal, wordy conversation 
with uh, old Wilkie. Uh, Tyler Benson. Tyler Benson, new contract today with the Edmonton Oilers. So one-year deal, $750,000. It is, of course, a two-way contract. Benson coming off a, a pretty nice year in the minors. Strange season. He had 36 points in 36 games. Prior to that, when all the North American leagues were paused, he played 15 games in Switzerland and did pretty well over there, 19 points in 15 games. And Benson earlier today spoke to Brendan Escott on Oilers Now and uh, reflected on this past year. Uh, for me, I think last year started with uh, just being able to start the whole year in, in Switzerland. I think I was able to work on my individual skills over there, uh, just my skating and everything like that. Uh, and then I kind of had, uh, I was ready to go once our season started in Bakersfield. Um, I felt faster this year. I felt stronger on the ice uh, and just uh, in better shape uh, all around. And I think the success last year um, came a lot with uh, how, how good of a chemistry our line had. And, it was just a, it was a great year all around. All right. Well, and health has been an issue for Tyler Benson through his junior career and early part of his pro career. I mean, he had a couple of seasons with the Vancouver Giants derailed by injury, and uh, then he was healthier later in his junior career. And we've seen him with the Condors have some some pretty good seasons. I mean, back in 18-19, he was just under a point a game, 66 points in 68 games. I, I mentioned a point a game for this past season as the Condors won the Pacific Division playoff tournament. There were not league playoffs. Only the Pacific Division had playoffs, and the Condors uh, won those. Benson had five points in six games, scored a pretty big goal to help them win the series along the way as well. So he's he will be interesting to watch. I think, you know, maybe the knock on Benson at times has been uh, his speed, but you heard him say in that clip that he feels like his skating really was pretty strong this past year. And if he is going to be an Edmonton Oiler, then then look, especially to crack the roster, he'll he'll have to be a bottom six player uh, as as a rookie. And. I, 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 well, I know with the Condors, there was emphasis on working on his all-around game and working on his penalty killer uh, on his penalty killing, and I think that's going to be the path to the NHL for him. And Benson feels like, uh, yeah, he's on the verge of uh, making the Oilers roster. It's been good just over the years, just seeing uh, a lot of my teammates and good friends uh, make the jump to the NHL, and not only be NHLers, but uh, be able to help the team win games and, and be successful. So. I see that. I'm happy for them, but uh, I feel like I'm ready to make that jump as well and join them. Uh, that's what I'm looking to do now. And I think uh, this is the year for me, and uh, I feel ready. Well, and if you look at where there might be a spot available on the Oilers roster for Benson or someone like that, you know, again, it's more likely in the bottom six. I, the 12 forwards that you would have on the team, or at least that I would have on the team right now, McDavid, Drysettle, Nugent Hopkins. Puliyarvi and Hyman, I think, are five of the top six. And then likely the other spot goes to Cassian or Yamamoto. And then the other one is in, in the bottom six. And then you have Ryan McLeod, Josh Archibald, Derek Ryan, Warren Fogle, and Devin Shore. Right now, sitting here on August 11th, before we get to camp, I, I think those are the Oilers' top 12 forwards. Sure, we can debate the line combinations, all that kind of stuff. But, but I think that's the top 12. And then I think if you look at 13 through 15 and maybe pushing to be the 12th or the 11th, you would have Tyler Benson. You would have Brendan Perlini, who was signed over the weekend to a two-way contract. And you would also have Kyle Turris. Kyle Turris is still under contract for this season. Uh, he certainly had an underwhelming campaign, especially 
compared to the job that they were hoping he was uh, going to do, but he is still under contract. Maybe he plays in, in more of a depth role, isn't expected to score as much. Maybe he's in and out of the lineup. So, so I would have those guys personally 13 through 15 and uh, trying to become 11 or 12. So I think that's the position Tyler Benson is in once we get into training camp here in a little bit over a month. So that is your Oilers news from today, and you can get more on Benson on 630Ched.com. All right. John texts in. He says, Reed, after watching the first Elks game live at Commonwealth and then watching it again on TV, I think the biggest concern was the offensive line. They looked out of sync and lost at times more than once. They would completely lose an assignment, allowing a totally free pass rusher, even when it was four rushers versus five or six pass blockers. That's concerning. That is from John. Yeah, you know, John, I think that's been the big, well, I know that's been the big conversation point over the last few days, the offense. So I think Harris was a little bit out of sync. Uh, I think there were some, you know, two or three drops by receivers. The shy Ross play flips right up into the red blacks uh, hands and they take it back for a touchdown. And uh, yeah, I think the offensive line had some tough moments. I, I, I like, I personally, I, I wouldn't pin it on any one position group or one player. Harris took a lot of heat, uh, put a, put a lot of heat on himself. I think the quarterback always gets uh, a lot of the blame, maybe sometimes too much, but, but I do think there were some spotty moments for the offensive line. Uh, I think they got to clean it up in all areas. And, you know, Harris couldn't push the ball downfield. Were the receivers getting open? Were they going to spots where they were going to find holes in the coverage as, as well? So, you know, that's not always all in the quarterback either. But fair comment there coming in from John. Jordy says, I'm so excited about the upcoming season. I think the result of the first game is probably because of no preseason games. There is potential in the Elks. And as the season progresses, we'll see that we have a good enough team to challenge for Earl's Gray's uh, Cup. Yeah, only one game, maybe a little bit uh, more urgency this season because it is a slightly shorter year, 14 games instead of 18. Obviously, we've seen teams start poorly or, or mediocrely. Is mediocrely a word? I don't know if that's a word. Or, or have mediocre starts? Any, any language experts out there, is mediocrely a word? It doesn't sound like a word. It sounds more like a, a Turkish stew. But anyway, uh, we, we've seen teams that have not great starts to the year in the CFL and recover. I mean, two-thirds of the team make the playoffs. You just don't want to get down 0 4 and then really be playing catch-up the whole year. And in reference, well, well Kellen, play the Elmondo Sewell comment again on Trevor Harris. Like I know Trevor, you know, you hit him one time, you start folding. So... Let's see if that whole Trevor Harrison won't show up again. Doesn't matter what he looks like on IG. He's posting all those pictures, looking like a pit bull, but we'll see. <laughs> okay, uh, I think Elmondo Seal is having a little bit of fun there. Dean wrote in, he said, thanks, Elmondo, for topping up the Trevor Harris fuel tank. He's still contributing to our Elks. Much appreciated. Yeah, it's always, <laughs> it's, it, it's, yeah, I, I guess you guys can give me your feedback as well. Because as someone who works in the media and as a, as a talk show host, we, we talk about stuff. And when a player says something like that, I always figure, all right, well, I, I have to play the audio. It's it's a little bit unusual that that a guy would say that, especially basically saying he's going to fold. I mean, sure, a defensive lineman is going to say, well, we're going to try to hit the quarterback. Duh. Um, but you usually don't have that. Uh, yes, thank you, Mike. It's uh, mediocrity, not what was I saying, Kellen? 
Uh, Mediocrely? Yeah, yes, probably. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. You, Mike would be better at uh, coming up with words on the fly than I would. Mike, you get a canned ham, baby. So you get Mike's address. We'll send him a canned ham. Or, or maybe I'll uh, drop it off. So, of course, you're, he's going to say we want to hit the quarterback and sack him and, and give give him pressure. But he actually said we're going to make him – he's going to fold once we hit him. So that's kind of a shot at his his character and his tenacity. So I always figure, okay, play the clip. I, I, I don't want to make uh, too much of it. And I, I as honestly, as as I've gotten older with some of the stuff like that, I, I kind of like it. Like when I was when I was younger, but oh, you can never say that about an opponent. Never have disrespect. And now I just figure, you know what? They're they're pro athletes. They're most of them are relatively young guys. They're they're going to talk some trash. Let, just let's just enjoy the storyline of it. And and maybe Monday, who knows? Well, I think well, Dave's hosting the show on Monday because I'm taking a week off. But you know, maybe Monday Trevor Harris will run away from Armando Sewell for the longest touchdown run of his career, and and we can all kind of celebrating it. But uh, we'd all kind of celebrate it at that point. So I, I, I again, I don't want to make too much of it. I, I don't I, like I'm not outraged by it, so I'm not going to come on air and, and be outraged by it. I, I don't get the sense anybody listening is outraged by it. To me, it just plays into the fun, especially after not having games for a year. Where it's like, hey, we got a little fuel, we got a little rivalry, we got a little uh, ex-Edmonton player coming back with Montreal to play his old team, wants to take a shot at Trevor Harris. It's like, okay, let, let's see what happens on... Uh, I'm having Chris Morris on the show a little bit later on. I'm going to ask him about that. Uh, John says, read a mediocrely is a medieval musical instrument, someone like a guitar used in old Celtic folk music. There we go. That's awesome. Now, again, it's like Balderdash. John just could have made that up. Wasn't that the name of that board game, Kellen, where you'd uh, somebody would uh, you'd, you'd be given like a word or a scenario and then everybody uh, would have to write something down and one person had the real thing and everybody else was. was yeah, I think you're right. Balder, I think that's what it was. It was Balderdash yeah. or something like that. Well, we should play that uh, live on air. I I might have a balderdash set at home. I'm not sure. I have to take a look and see. I know I got like five or six different varieties of Monopoly, but other than that, that's it. So, L. Nate writes in. He says he's having a little fun ribbing his buddy. Yeah, I think so. So I, I figure why not have a little fun with it on the show? Like like I said, I'm not going to come in and act all uh, mad about. And let say he he took a shot at him. He ribbing him like L. Nate says he didn't say anything you know, blatantly offensive or uh, out of bounds or anything like that. Scott in Calgary talking about uh, Oilers stuff. He says, Reed, I'm so excited to see the hard work of drafting and developing players is starting to show in players on the cusp, like Bouchard and Benson shows great work and patient uh, patience by management. Yeah, fair. Uh, I would just say to that, they got to break through at some point. And I think Benson is, is pretty much at the point at the age of 23 where he's uh, he's got to break through. But he's worked at it, and he had a pretty good season in the minors. Okay, let's do. Are we re- are we ready for trivia, Kellen? I know I'm ready for trivia. That's the question: Is are they ready for trivia? Kellen is moderately sure. He's he's. Uh... Well, I've, I, was, I, I just, after after how the the first one went on Monday, I'm just very wary about this segment. You know, so. All right. Well, yeah, the first question on Monday, I, I made too difficult. 
Yesterday, we played some audio of a golfer speaking, and the question was, who was that speaking? And Mm. it was Phil Mickelson. So no audio clue today, but we'll go on the theme of Phil Mickelson. So 780-496-0063. So I'm going to give the question now, and then I'll take calls looking for the right answer after the break. So I'm not just going to spring the question on the callers right after the break, Mm -hmm. because I've been told that's too evil of me to do. I set off the evil alert. Devious. So... (laughs) That's that's right. I have a I have a devious host. So here's the question, uh, and you're gonna have to give me the correct answer on air, and we're gonna send you and three friends out for a day of golf at Edmonton Springs Golf. I should actually clarify: you do not have to take friends. You could take people you hate. You just get to take three other people. You could take coworkers. Uh, you know, random people on the street, you, you just get a, a round of four and, and you can be one of the people that use it. We're going to assume you're going to take your friends. So uh, Edmonton Springs golf trivia here. How many times has Phil Mickelson won the U.S. Open? How many times has Phil Mickelson won the U.S. Open? 780-496-0063. We'll get to your answers after the break. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins is brought to you by James H. Brown and Associates, Alberta Injury Lawyers. Go to jameshbrown.com. Now, see, here's... Here, you can't please everybody, right? Not that I try to. Uh, but, like, El Nate is up on the text line. El Nate's upset that the question's too easy. <laughs> well, and El Nate actually knew the... The difficult question that I asked on Monday that stumped people for several minutes. Unfortunately, you you can't win if you text in the correct answer. It has to be a phone call, though. I do appreciate the uh, text coming in. 780-496-0063. How many times has Phil Mickelson won the U.S. Open? Glenn is our first contestant this evening. Glenn, how's your day going? Uh, not too bad, Reed. How's, how's your day going? My day's uh, been quite good. Are you a golfer? Actually, no, I'm not. Okay, are you a golf fan? Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, but you're I'm, taking I'm, a stab I'm, at it. Yeah, I'm going to take a stab at it. Okay, how many times has Phil Mickelson won the U.S. Open? I'm going to say three. Unfortunately, Glenn, that is not correct, but I do appreciate your listing. Okay? Not the problem. Hope you, can, hope you can call in another time. Uh, Phil Mickelson has six major championships. How many times uh, the U.S. Open? Uh, Robert, you are up next. How many times, man? Twice. Unfortunately, that is also incorrect. Oh, my. I did not think this one was going to be that hard. Okay. Uh, Phil Mickelson, how many times has he won the U.S. Open? Uh, Dan, and Dan was on the line, and he dropped. Oh, I'm a failure. I, <laughs> I, 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 feel, I feel really bad. Who, who do we have, Kellen? Norman. Okay, Norman, how many times has Phil won the U.S. Open? None. Correct. He has never won it. How many times has he finished? As a bonus, how many times has he finished second? I think six. It is six. It is six. So are you a, uh, you must follow golf pretty close then. A little bit, yep. Who's your favorite player? Um, McElroy, probably. Oh, yeah. Okay. Pretty good. And are you a golfer yourself? Yes. And I, I imagine you're really, really good. No. <laughs> you could have said yes. I never would have known. 
How is uh, now? How how has your summer been? Did you follow a lot of the NHL and the Oilers off season stuff? Did you watch the Olympics? Or are you back into the Elks? What what have you been consuming as a fan? Uh, a lot of hockey. Um, <clears throat> I coach hockey around, so kind of kind of keep busy with that. Are you coaching even in the summers? or stuff going on? Yeah, we uh, we coach into the spring, into July. Then what age range, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, youth thirteen. Okay, cool, cool. So, like high le- high level guys, then? Yeah, yeah, AAA. Oh, AAA. Well, good for you, Norman. I appreciate that you listen to the show. I hope it gives you a laugh or two along the way. And I'm glad you got the golf passes. So stay on the line, and Kellen's going to let you know how we're going to get them to you. Okay. Okay. Thanks a lot. All right, that is Norman checking in. And uh, Norman, a combine, who's a regular texter and listener to the show, was the winner last night. I didn't know that for sure when he called in. So we had a Norm last night, and we had a Norman tonight. So maybe tomorrow we'll do a Greg Norman-themed question. I'm going to write that down for myself. I'll probably lose the sheet of paper. Greg Norman question for Thursday. Uh, Phil Mickelson, yeah, has never won the U.S. Open. He's been close. We, uh, as uh, as uh, Norman pointed out, six times he has finished second. He has been on the verge of victory, most notably in 2006. He had the lead going to the final hole. He hit a terrible drive. He tried to make a hero shot. It hit a tree and bounced backwards, and uh, and he blew it, and he blew it on the last hole. Phil has won the 04 Masters. He won the 05 PGA. He won the 06 Masters. Then he won the Masters in 2010. He got the uh, 2013 Open Championship. That one was kind of unexpected. And then this year, at the age of 50, Phil Mickelson cashed in winning the uh, PGA, held in May, moved up in the uh, calendar, used to always be held in August. So those are the six titles for Phil Mickelson. He has never won the United States Open. Second in 99 to Payne Stewart, and then Payne Stewart tragically uh, died in the plane crash later that, well, I guess, unfortunately, he passed away uh, on the plane before it, before it crashed. Uh, second in 02, 04, tied for second in 06, tied for second in 09, tied for second in 2013. Phil Mickelson's history of misery at the United States Open. Okay, well, I guess that was still fun, even though we got got some wrong answers. But that's okay. I appreciate people are trying. 780-496-0063. Chris Morris from the U of A Golden Bears football team. He's the head coach. What are expectations like for that team? You know the history of the Golden Bears football team. They've been bad for quite a while. A couple of playoff appearances under Chris, but didn't go very far. But now two excellent recruiting classes in a row. I'm going to ask Chris, is it is it fair to say you guys should be considered a contender? We shouldn't be happy with mediocrity. There, I used the word properly. We shouldn't be happy with mediocrity. Should we be thinking Golden Bears going for a Canada West title? I want to ask him that, get the lowdown on some other things. It's Inside Sports on Chet. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.